listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. Thank you for listening. The Infinite Smile Sangha is made possible by the generosity of friends, members, and people who have been touched by this teaching. Please visit our donations page at infinitesmile.org to help us continue our efforts in spreading the Dharma. So I got an email from a virtual Sangha member. Uh, she was actually, uh, she's from, from Europe, I want to say London area. And she had a question. It was about as simple as could be. She said, uh, you don't do heart much, do you? You're not, you're not too into that compassion thing. You're more into the wisdom thing, aren't you? <laughs> and uh, it, I think she's right on. I think she's right on. And it's not that I don't have anything against the heart. I'm a big fan of the heart. <laughs> uh, but I think working very carefully with our thoughts so that we begin to understand the origin and the source of thought of our minds allows for all of this heart stuff to kind of show up spontaneously. I believe it's a shortcut, in other words. I think that any and all of us could work very hard on becoming much nicer people. And we could spend lifetimes doing that. But if the intention is to awaken in this time frame, this life, I think perhaps our time is best spent studying the mind, studying the self. And this is kind of ironic that I got that question because our last uh, sangha was about, we, we spoke of, of love. Uh, we spoke of heartbreak. We spoke of the divine paradox of being in a space where we prevent ourselves from dealing with heartbreak or we, we do our best to stay away from heartbreak and as a result we live in heartbreak. It's only when we surrender to heartbreak in every moment let the entire world break our hearts again and again and again and again and yet we keep dancing. It's only then that we can uncover Love, the source of all love. And it's within each of us. The source of all love, the entire universe's love, is within each of us. But here again, this comes from uh, a certain knowing with a capital K. This comes with... uh, um, a fearless approach to what is actually happening. And in so doing, love can not only radiate from us, but radiate through us. So to clarify, it's not that I don't, I don't do the heart thing or don't do love or, or whatever. I think that's all great. But I think it's a, it's a secondary 
it's a secondary step to studying our own minds. And that's what we do when we meditate. When we sit, all we're doing is studying. And in that studying, in that process of studying, what we're doing is we're watching our thoughts. We're witnessing our experience. That's it. It's not complicated. It might be hard, but it's not complicated. And it's only hard because the ego's got all this inertia going in a direction of wanting to understand, wanting to get, or wanting to get rid of. I don't know if any of you have ever had that experience as you're sitting. And it's like you, you, you reach a point where it's as if you look at your mind, which is just ch -ch 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 chatter, chatter, chatter. And you feel like saying, would you just shut up? You know? And then you start going in a you know, hand-to-hand -hand combat with your mind. And basically, that's ego sneaking in to the back door. That's the mind sneaking up on itself. Best thing we can do when we sit in meditation and stuff's just flying every which way is allow yourself to say silently, aha, or thinking, or memory, judgment, plan. Allow yourself to have a discriminating awareness of what's going on without getting caught by it. Does this make sense? So that we're not trying to uh, identify with a particular thought. We're not trying to use a thought. We're not trying to understand anything. We're just trying to meet whatever is coming up with the white hot fire of our awareness. And what does that white hot fire do? It throws light. And darkness cannot withstand that light. In the same way, when we let our heart get broken all the time by everything, we are letting that light radiate. That does not mean, of course, I want to make sure this is clear, that we allow our, ourselves to be in abusive relationships or anything like that. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about meeting our circumstances with total openness, total vulnerability. And in so doing, there's a certain aplomb. There's a certain quiet, silent steadiness, like a mountain within each of us. <coughs> so when you're sitting tonight, be still. That's it. Just be still. Do your best. That's all you can do. And if you find yourself racing, be still there. Watch the race. If you find yourself in deep quietude, just watch the deep quietude. Don't have to do anything. All the doing can happen later. But for the 30 minutes of meditation, just, just be here fully. Okay?
traditionally one of the things we do when we're on retreat. The intensives are like the one day thing and then retreat and we stay over a couple of nights. I always have a bedtime story. And so what we're going to do is we're going to break ranks with a normal Monday night um, sitting and we're going we're gonna to do a, a bedtime story. Please don't fall asleep. Um, this is Old Turtle and the Broken Truth. And it's a, a Douglas Wood wrote it. And the watercolors are done by someone that I just find to be just a genius, John J. Muth. Um, I'm trying to think, let's see, who's, who published this? Is it Scholastic? Oh, Peshaw. Yeah, it is Scholastic Press. So go out and buy lots of copies. Um, it's a little bit long. So I'm going to hustle, and I'm not going to show you every picture, okay? Uh, but it, it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it, I think. It's quite a beautiful story. Okay. Anybody read it before? Yeah, I used to read it to my kids. You used to read it to your kids. Okay, cool. You're clearly a good mom. Yeah. Old Turtle and the Broken Truth. Okay? Here goes. Once in a beautiful faraway land that was somehow not so very far, a land where every stone was a teacher and every breeze a language, where every lake was a mirror and every tree a ladder to the stars. Into this uh, fair, excuse me, far and lovely land there fell a truth. It streaked down from the stars, trailing a tail as long as the sky, but as it fell, it broke. One of the pieces blazed off through the night sky, and the other fell to earth in the beautiful land. In the morning, Crow found the fallen piece. It seemed to be sort of a stone, shiny and pleasing to the eye. He picked it up. This is a lovely truth, said Crow. I will keep it. And he carried it away. But after he had held it for a while... And examined it closely, Crow said, This truth does not feel quite right. A part of it is missing. I will look for a whole one. He flew off and dropped it to the ground. Oh. That would be Crow, right there. In the morning, Crow found the fallen piece. It seemed to be a sort of stone, shiny... Hey, just read that. Losing my mind here. Which is kind of the whole point of Zen practice. <laughs> Lose your mind reading children's literature. <laughs> Other creatures who liked shiny things soon noticed the truth as well. Fox, coyote, raccoon, each picked it up and carried it a while, but they too found that it had rough edges and was difficult to carry, and its sparkle soon lost its appeal. We do not need this broken truth, they said. We will find a whole one. Butterfly and bear also discovered the truth, drawn by its sweetness, but each found it had left a bitter taste after all. There was something missing in this truth, they thought, and they left it alone. After a while, none of the creatures even noticed the broken truth anymore, and it lay on the ground forgotten. Then a human being found it. He was walking slowly, listening to breezes, gazing at the beauties above and below, and all around him when he found the broken truth. On it was writing, and the writing said, You are loved. The man held it carefully, 
Thinking it was the loveliest thing he had ever seen, he tucked the broken truth into a safe place and kept it. Sometimes he would take it out and admire it. And the truth sparkled just for him and whispered its message to him alone. And the man thought he had never felt so proud and so happy. The man took the wonderful truth to his people, those who lived with him, who spoke as he spoke and dressed as he dressed, and whose faces looked like his. And together they cherished their newfound truth and believed in it. They hugged it to themselves, and it became their most important possession. <laughs> After a while, the man and his people did not hear the language of breezes and stones anymore, but they heard only their truth. They did not see the mirrored beauty in the lakes or the ladders to the stars, but saw only their sparkling truth. And for them, it was enough. And they called it the truth. No picture on that page. The truth made the people feel good and proud and strong. But soon they also began to feel fear and even anger toward those who were not like themselves and did not share their truth. The other beings and other people of the lovely land seemed less and less important. And the language of the breezes was hardly ever heard anymore. Time passed, and other people said, we must have this great truth for ourselves, for with it comes happiness and power. Many battles were fought, and the broken truth was won and lost, won and lost, over and over again. But such was its power and beauty that no one ever doubted it. And when they were without it, they felt a great empty, emptiness where their truth had been. The stones and trees suffered, the breezes and waters suffered, and the animals and the earth, and most of all, the people suffered. Finally, the animals went to Old Turtle, ancient and wise as the mountains and seas themselves. Crow and fox went, coyote went, raccoon, butterfly, bear, and many others all went to see Old Turtle. This truth the people quarrel over, they said. We have all held it ourselves. It is broken and does not work. Please tell the people. I'm sorry, answered Old Turtle. But the people will not listen. They're not yet ready. And the suffering continued. Until one day, a little girl came to find Old Turtle. She had traveled very far, had crossed the mountains of imagining and the river of wondering why, and found her way through the forest of finding out. I love that line. <laughs> and when she had grown tired, she had ridden on the backs of animals or on the wings of birds, and they helped her find her way. Finally, they came to, they came to a great hill in the very center of the world. From there, the little girl thought she had never seen so far or seen so much beauty. But when she saw Old Turtle, she could hardly speak. She simply looked with eyes full of wonder. Why have you come so far to find me, little one? Asked Old Turtle. Her voice rumbled like faraway thunder, but was soft as the breeze through a, ca through a caterpillar's whiskers. I... I wanted to ask a question, asked the little girl. Where I live, the earth is sore and people are suffering. Battles are fought over and over again. People say it has always been this way and will never change. Can it change, Old Turtle? Can we make it change? Old Turtle spoke. The world you describe 
is not the world that has always been, little one. Then Old Turtle told of how people had found the broken truth and suffering and the suffering it had caused. It is because it is so close to a great whole truth that it has such beauty and that people love it so, said Old Turtle. It has lost a portion of that broken truth that people in fact need if the world is to be made whole again. But where's the missing piece? asked the little girl. Can we put the truth back together again? First, my child, said Old Turtle, remember that there are truths all around us and within us. They twinkle in the night sky and bloom upon the earth. They fall upon us every day, silent as the snow and gentle as the rain. The people clutching their one truth forget that it is part of all the small and lovely truths of life. They no longer see these truths, no longer hear them. But perhaps, little one, you can. I'll try. I'll try, she said to Old Turtle. And she thought once more of her long journey. She looked upon all the beauty that surrounded her, from the far hills to the flowers beneath her feet. She saw the movement of clouds and the soaring of birds and the dancing of light upon the green and living earth. She heard the whispering of a breeze, and gradually a feeling came over her, as though all the world were made of truths as if the world had been made just for her and she had been made for it and she felt a secret smile somewhere deep inside and thought that perhaps she understood. She once again looked at Old Turtle, her eyes more filled with wonder than ever before. Old Turtle spoke again. Remember this also, little one, she said. The broken truth and life itself will be mended only when one person meets another, someone from a different place, or with a different face, or different ways, and sees and hears herself. Only then will people know that every person, every being, is important, and that the world was made for each of us. <coughs> for a long time, then the two friends were quiet, high on their hill, in the very center of the world, and in her heart, the little girl thought she could see other people in other beautiful lands, people with their own ways, their own truths, people different from her own, but still somehow, some way, just people. Finally, the little girl asked one more question. Old Turtle, how will the people learn these things? By seeking out those small and simple truths all around them, said Old Turtle. By listening once more to the languages, excuse me, the language of the breezes. By learning lessons from stones and animals and trees and stars. Even turtles, she chuckled. And little girls. Now, little one, it is time for you to go. To return to your people and tell them what you have seen and learned. And to help them mend their broken truth. Take this with you, said Old Turtle as she placed something in the little girl's hand. I've saved it for a very long time for someone just like you. The little girl looked at what Old Turtle had given her. It was a kind of stone, a mysterious, beautiful stone. It was lovely to touch, and it made her feel good to hold it. She squeezed it tightly, then tucked it for... <clears throat> she squeezed it tightly, then tucked it away for her journey. Thank you. Old turtle, she said, and hugged her uh, friend's great leathery neck. And then she started home. Once more she traveled through the forest of finding out, crossed the river of wondering why, and the mountains of imaging, excuse me, imagining, 
Crow led the way. Mountains of Imaging is another place. It's near San Jose, but that's... <laughs> Crow led the way, and again, when the little girl grew tired, all her animal friends helped. She sometimes touched the stone old turtle had given her to renew her strength, and it took a long time, yet almost no time at all. And she was home. But it had been a very long journey, and those who take great journeys of the heart are changed. The people did not recognize her, and when she spoke, they did not understand. She told them of her journey, but the people could not follow her words. She spoke of a world made of small and gentle truths, of all the peoples being one people, but they could not catch her meaning. She explained about the broken truth and the need to make it whole, but the people did not believe her and could not understand. Finally, Crow, seeing all that had happened, flew to the high place above the village where the great truth was kept, in a place where all could see it. He cawed and cawed in his loudest voice, and suddenly the little girl knew what to do. She climbed to the high place herself. She took the old turtle stone from her pocket and carefully added the missing piece of stone to the broken one. The fit was perfect. The people looked and looked and looked. Some frowned, some smiled, some even laughed, and some cried. And then they began to understand. You'll see a heart there that is sutured together, fit together, and it reads, You are loved. And then the other half says, And so are they. Time passed. And upon the beautiful land, the trees climbed like ladders to the stars, and waters shone like mirrors, and people saw their beauty. A breeze stirred, and they heard its music. Tiny truths fell by day and night, gentle as the rain and snow, and the people found them and kept them in their hearts. And slowly, as people met other people, different from themselves, they began to see themselves. And far away on a hill, at the very center of the world, <coughs> Old Turtle smiled. That's practice. Okay? When we can actually begin to recognize that none of this works in isolation, or as it says in the Lotus Sutra, that only a Buddha with a Buddha realizes enlightenment. If we can start to see the truth is not mine or yours or anyone's, we can begin to uncover what resonates in the hearts and minds of all people. We begin to see that everything arises within our own very awareness. We begin to see that our appetites diminish and turn into appreciations. And so that's the work. That's what we're doing here. At least we hope. So there's a little prescription for how we can do this. Uh, and it goes something like this. Find a group of like-minded people 
maybe you've already found it. Maybe this works for you. Uh, and if it doesn't, man, there are lots of choices. Find one. Find a group of people. The second thing I would recommend is find a teaching. Find a teaching. And that usually involves a little bit of homework on our parts, a little bit of reading, you know, a little bit of uh, dipping our toes in different pools of wisdom. Okay? That's important. Find a teaching that moves you. Okay? That you know in your heart of hearts, you know that truth beyond name and form is waving at you in that place. Right here. And then find a teacher. It's just a shortcut. It doesn't always have to be a person. Although it's easier because communication is easier that way. But those three things set us up for a practice. It's like a container for practice where the truth that may have felt like it's broken within our, within our own hearts gets mended somehow. At least that's my wish for all of you and everyone else. Yeah, Dave. Well, you said find a teaching, find a teacher. Find a Just group. to make sure yeah. it could be several teachers, several Yeah. Teachers. I, I'm finding lots of stuff that works. Yeah, that's great. I think that's important. I think it's important. Um, to... Uh, uh, to give you, uh, throw, throw a little back at you, it was uh, interesting for me. I, I didn't want to find one T. I really wanted to keep it as spread out as possible in case someone screwed up. I wanted to hedge my bets, you know. <laughs> Talk about an ego. Uh, and and it, was, it was kind of interesting because I started to find, I developed relationships with several people. They were all part of the same tradition, but there were several senior teachers each of them for a different type of question or a different type of situation. And uh, I found that was really good in getting me primed. But then there was a moment where it's like, I got to grow up here. And, and I did. I took a dive. And it was, I, wanted to, I wanted to work very, very closely with one teacher. And at that moment, everything just started to open up. I don't think it would have been the same had I worked with that particular teacher at the very beginning. I think it was a very necessary step for, for me personally to go through. Uh, but it was very helpful when I did that incredibly adult thing, which is to vow, which is to show resolve. And that kept the practice from being um, uh, immature. There's nothing to do about my personality, which is incredibly immature. But uh, uh, the, uh, the, the idea of spiritual work, it really is about growing up, you know? And so that was very helpful. Just like with the, you know, our, you guys know how our lives change the minute we commit to, a, you know, a child or a relationship or, you know, whatever it might be. The minute we kind of say, this is what I'm doing. And ironically, this is exactly what the Buddha did. You see the statues of him touching the ground. It's like, as the earth is my witness, I ain't moving. You know? It's a little Buddha-tude right there, you know? Uh, but, but it's really powerful. It's really powerful. So keep going. Keep going. And you may be one of those people who just, you know, it, it tends to support this 
flowering. I just was of the particular type that I needed to have someone, <laughs> someone turn the screws in a little tighter. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the question. Yeah. Oh, it's, oh, so I'm in good company with old Jack. <laughs> nice. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. He, he's, he ran into the same situation. Was he... Uh, uh, it's in his book. Which one? With Heart. Ah. First ones. And he said, as you're moving closer and closer to, you know, really, as you would say, becoming an adult, then you want to fix on one that uh, really calls to you. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, read his book. <laughs> After you read my book. After you read my book, yeah. Yeah, right. Mine first. Can I get another Sure, story? please. I'm, my chiropractor is working on me, and he starts talking about the witness. He starts talking about the, all these things that are in your book. And I kind of laughed. I said, well, because he's not, he's not the typical, you know, Buddhist. I said, well, yeah. that sounds like Buddhism 101. And we start talking a little more. He says, yeah, there was some, I read this book. That's where I get it. He, he said, uh. That was pretty impressive. His teacher at Akalani, some psychology teacher. <laughs> I said, uh, you know, no BS. It's, uh, I said, oh, that's, I know who that is because that's who I, I go to that song. It's on Monday nights. You want to go? He says, well, I might think about it. Yeah. He's the type of guy that, you know, for him to come here would be really impressive. That's cool, man. <laughs> Thanks so much. He read your book and he saw that and he started using that as he's, t uh, he, he's actually, he was working on someone else in the other section yeah. mm -hmm. and he was using those terms and as he came over I said that sounded like Buddhist oh, yeah. actually the w words were not uh, were used on me they were used on the other <laughs> client and I was listening to it wow I, I just, that's great pretty amazing <laughs> <laughs> wow it is it's spreading right right yeah it's it's so funny it's and uh, and it's hardly Buddhist you know <laughs> Really, it's, I mean, it's such an anchor for us just because it, it helps create, like I said, the container. You know, the teaching is deeply, it's steeped in a Buddhist tradition, however, you know. But still, thank you. That's really sweet of you to say. Yeah, it's very nice. Very nice. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All the stuff. <laughs> I think that what it's it's actually a beautiful question, beautifully stated. I um, uh, if you've if you were raised like in a certain community, it's always with you, and that's the way I feel about my Zen training. It's like it's <laughs> always it will always be with me. It's always going to be a part of me. It was so cool. I went to a, I was at San Francisco Zen Center not too long ago. I was just picking up a book at their bookstore. I was in, in the neighborhood, pulled over. I walked in there. And as I walked in the courtyard, I just I had a tear. It was just like, oh, so nice, you know? And it's very much a part of me. Same thing with the you know, Green Gulch and so forth. It's very much a part of me. But I, I just, I very consciously made the choice not to stay within the... Um, uh, uh, structure of the tradition only because I was afraid for me that I would 
end up getting stuck in the tradition. And so the, the choice was made to kind of retool what is being said, not only by you know, the Buddha and the various patriarchs and so forth, but also then add to that Christianity and add to that Kabbalah and add to that Vedanta and add to so that all of it can kind of be integrated with the very uh, um, Buddhist flair. And so that's that's what I try to do. I think if you were to, for instance, start start attending, you know, a traditional Rinzai or Soto Zen type of uh, Sangha, let's say on Monday nights, you'd notice very quickly there are some differences, but they're also hopefully very compatible. Just like I hope it's very compatible. Um, for someone who uh, goes to Mass on Sundays to come here. I hope it's compatible. I don't think that they're, they're, they're really separate. They're actually quite, you know, speaking, speaking about the same things in very different ways. That's all. I should probably turn that over to you guys. I mean, for those of you who have attended, um, you know, more traditional Buddhist things and, you know, attended these Monday nights, you'd, you'd probably be better at answering the question than I. But anyway. I could say something. You could say something about that? A little bit. Sure. Please. Actually, it's more like a question uh-huh. to add to that question, which is about theism. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, certainly um, Buddhist traditionally Non-theistic, right. Mm -hmm. So, for my understanding, that would be a very different view. I think you're right. I think the fact that... uh, I try to use the word spirit or infinity as much as I can, instead of God, since God brings a lot of baggage with it. And I think that the idea that traditions might somehow place this fascinating boundary between who we are and who God is, right? In other words, we pray to God. God is somewhere out there. Yet God is infinite. So if God is infinite, then how is God not also in here? How is God not the impulse to speak for us? Isn't God still the source of our prayer? So where is the self? Right? So depending on how you look at theistic teachings, you can still arrive at the same place. But it, it, I think it does create a, a, a wide assortment of uh, places for us to cling. That said, you want to see clinging? Just go to any institution, Buddhist or not. You know? So that's, that's a really... I think you make a great point. You make a great point. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And so, (laughs) thanks. Yeah, and bows to you too. Yes. Yeah. I don't know if I answered it for you there at all. Well, I'm. I I will rise again. Okay. There's several questions within that question. Make sure you don't ever go to war with God. (laughs) You know what I mean? No. Not you. I'm saying that we have, but there's a tendency. There's a tendency for us to. I don't want to say us. I'm certainly not speaking for you here. But there's a tendency um, within the Buddhist tradition for there almost to be a certain smugness 
about its non-theism or overt defensiveness about non-theism. You know, it's a, this point of attack. You don't believe in God? <laughs> and, then, and then it's like, you know, it, it, how do you, what do you say to that, you know? Um, I, think it's, I think it's the wrong point, you know? It's like, is there a God? Wrong question. Is there not a God? Where is God? Where is God not? It's the, it reminds me that I love this thing. This kind of relates to what you were saying where the, uh, the Zen master was urinating on the Buddha statue. And the uh, senior monk storms out. What the hell are you doing? You can't do that. You're pissing on what's holy. And the master looks at him and says, what's not holy? <laughs> you know? which I think is a beautiful way of kind of looking at that. And it's actually kind of also in the old turtle thing. It's like, it's all, it's all one. It's all part of the deep singularity. Yeah. Yes? You said, um, what is God? But I think that a lot of the traditional um, religions rely on what was God. And I'm thinking about a conversation I had last week with um, someone who comes from a uh, Baptist mm -hmm. uh, background, and she was explaining to me that she had gone to live in the city and even lived with an astrologer, mm -hmm. <laughs> and you know decided that the she needed to come home. <laughs> the damage was enough. The whole was, <laughs> and um, she said that. Um, but the reason that she came, and I said, what was home? And, and we got into the discussion about the fact, you know, that there wasn't a man, that there were mm. many messiahs. And, mm -hmm. and, but everything was pretty much clinging to, to a history, because that history is there. Um, not so much the teachings, but more like the, the book. Right. You know? mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you said you, the word you said, used was perfect. It's clinging, and wherever there is clinging, there is war, right? That's but how that I felt. right, but that war is still part of infinity. It's still part of God, right? God hasn't changed. God has not. Infinity has not changed. What is within infinity has moved around. And so, like, I think it's very, very helpful for us to recognize that whatever our thoughts are in relationship to God or someone's otherness, be it another faith or something like that, whatever our thoughts are about that, please recognize that they're just thoughts. They're not correct. So, the... And, and ours aren't either. Exactly. Exactly. And that's not what this is about. This, this is not about being correct. Mm -hmm. This is about wondering. <coughs> And that's just one way of uncovering truth. My version of this is that it's a shortcut. I could be really wrong. <laughs> you, you guys could be going on a ride that you do. <laughs> no, but it's, it's, I mean, and that's where the, the, the tradition is so helpful. Because I'm not going too far <laughs> off the, you know. It's, this is very, very much in line with the mountain 
that every one of the traditions talk, they, they all talk about, as opposed to their paths up the mountain. Yeah. I have a twofer. Sure, sure, twofer. <laughs> twofer twofers are allowed, yes. When you were saying um, that you had decided to take one direct mm -hmm. approach to your path, mm -hmm. did you decide, or was it something that that you just felt from here? From the heart? Yeah. yeah, see, I don't do heart. So, <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. Uh, my experience was quite mystical, actually. And in, in the sense that it was, there was, there was uh, a clarity I had never known before that said, basically, step up. And, um, and the reason why that communication happened was because I, my vow essentially was I want to live close to this for the rest of my life no matter what. Come hell or high water, I want to dance with this. And the this was, a, was nothing. And so that became, the ne that, that was where my uh, plateau, which was really quite dark, scary, and ugly for quite a long time, suddenly went. And, and, and it all, you know, the practice, our, our, our grounding in practice shifts and, you know, transmogrifies as we, as we go along. But that was just a, it was a very, very powerful, powerful move. Vows are powerful things. And uh, I took um, traditional Buddhist vows. I don't think that wasn't necessarily what did it. It was that there was something internal that said, here I am. Here's where I'm going to go. Come hell or high water. And the I that made all that stuff happen started to just fly away. Like snow in a windstorm. And, um, and then I went and got really drunk. <laughs> Watched a football game, ate a lot of pretzels, too many pretzels. Yeah. I'm kidding about that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yes? Um, my question is going off of her first question. Um, if you are aware that um, your path, my path, might not be the correct path. But, again, it's kind of like I'm saying, please explain war and peace in five minutes. But um, <laughs> the idea is, is that how do you, uh, how, not you specifically, but how should people who know that, it, that they're maybe not on the correct path um, should deal with people telling them that they are on the wrong path. If, if you kind of understand what I'm saying. I do. Let's where, go. Where, cause that smugness mm -hmm. is what I'm trying not to have. Right. But as I was speaking with you a few weeks ago, it, that's the difficulty that I find in Buddhism. Because I try not to be smug, uh -huh. but the smugness just comes right off. Right. It's like, I'm not right, you're not right, can we just let it be? but I want to be accepted by you. Can you just let me be? Right. And the minute you don't care about being accepted mm -hmm. is the minute you understand war and peace in less than five minutes. <laughs> okay? Yeah. In other words, war and peace in less than five minutes means this. Try not to fight. Okay? And you said it right there. Try not to fight, but don't let the war continue even though you agree to disagree. It sounds like you're still hanging on. 
that's the war. So if we truly surrender, it's actually a, a deep, deep, deep forgiveness. Yeah. That's at the core of war and peace. But the arrows keep flinging. That's okay. Is it? That's okay because guess what? The more at peace you are, not only the less, it, it, it's, they have less to, to, to stick to. So you become Sebastian. Thunk, 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 and you, you're still there. Right? St. Sebastian just kept getting nailed, kept getting nailed by all the arrows, and still, you know, he yet lives, right? And this is exactly what happens. We begin to endure the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune with a certain grace and ease. It doesn't mean that suddenly, you know, we're shiny, happy people running around. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything, you know, in a horrible state of spiritual denial. It's that we're actually able to develop a steadiness in the face of all of that onslaught and not oppose it, not get caught by it, not get flung around by it, but we're not in opposition. We're not at war with anybody or anything. We don't have to be right. And ego does not have to take on spiritual work. Maybe it does at first, but pretty soon it recognizes it cannot carry the load and then it makes a choice and it's either to try to pull you out or it's to give up. And the hope is that you can continue with this with enough presence and enough of a vow that ego finally just goes, okay. That's a tricky, tricky thing. Talk more about that next time. Bows. Thanks, Walter. Thanks, Walter. You're welcome. You're right. By the way, the, uh, the distance award tonight goes to Ralph, who flew in from Munich. Yes, yeah, so nice job.